loved football. I loved competition. You know, at the time, being an athlete was my identity. And so I worked my way up to, to different starting ranks for the team. I was on the special teams in the sixth game of the season. Um, during the third quarter, I'm running full speed down the sideline, and I see the opening where I know the, the ball carrier, he's going to run through that hole. He's trying to score a touchdown. And I'm going to stop him. I'm going to drive my shoulder you know, through his legs. Uh, a routine tackle that I've made, you know, thousands of times. Right. And I, I run in and I, I make a diving play. I, I kind of lose sight of him, but I kind of anticipate where he's going to be coming. And so I miss time my jump though. Hmm. So instead of colliding in with my, my shoulder, making most of the contact, I hit him with my head. Hmm. And instantly I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. Hmm. And I re- was completely conscious. It felt it felt like a normal play, but when the pile cleared and the whistle blow and everyone's going to the sidelines, I just couldn't get up. I was trying to push off the ground. Nothing was working. I thought, well, this is odd. I don't know why I, nothing's moving. I can't feel anything. I instantly think it's maybe like a bad stinger, which uh, can happen in football where you kind of pinch a nerve right. and your body kind of goes numb. Mm-hmm. Like your whole body's like a Novocaine shot. And uh, so I'm just waiting. I'm waiting and then, you know, nothing was coming back and you know, athletic trainers get involved. The paramedics get involved. They call in for a helicopter. And that's like the moment when I know like, holy cow, this is serious. Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA All-Star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are on an adventure together. Sure. This crazy little podcast adventure now we have done for i don't even know how many interviews a lot but we're creeping is, up there i mean our goal is a hundred yeah and we are in the 60s but maybe this is your first time ever listening and if it is we want to welcome you and tell you a little bit about what we're doing for the last uh two years we've been asking this question is it possible for both of us to be living out our purpose stay in love and raise a healthy Family, right? Yes. And our goal, like I said, is 100 couples and just interviewing them and hearing what they think about this. Yes. And uh, we readily admit that we are not the experts, Mm -hmm. um, but we want to hear from other people and other people's stories to learn. So if you want to take a second right now and you're looking at your phone, whether that's an iPhone or an Android, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You can look at your phone and press subscribe and join all the interviews and get them first thing on Monday mornings when they come out, as soon as they come out, right in your hands today. Look at today. you promoting. Wait, 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 wait. Promoting. I'm, not, I'm not done. Oh, I'm yeah. not done. You, you I'm still not got done. the pitch. Okay. Yes. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is as you are listening, you might think to yourself, I wish my friend... So and so, yeah, was listening with me. It's usually actually your partner. You yeah. really want, <laughs> you maybe, or it could be your best friend. You're like, that's mm, true. I wish Andre knew this, right? Yeah. Well, 
Maybe you should just text it to a friend or maybe you keep listening and you're like, man, I've been listening to this for the last 10 episodes. I've listened to 20 episodes. If you have listened to all those episodes and you haven't given us a review on iTunes, we want to ask you, will you please give us a review and ideally a five-star review so that we can make sure that more people get to see this and hear this. Wow. You did the promotion today. I like it. I like it. So do we need to talk about that? This podcast today is a little different. It's a little different. You took the reins. Yes. Well, you stepped in. You took the lead. <laughs> and I will notice there's two episodes that we have this. It's the first time ever that we haven't done the interviews We broke together. our own rule. We broke our own rule. <laughs> but you know what? We Rules make... are meant to be broken. Yes. Thank you. And it's our rule and our podcast so we can do what we want and break it every now and then. Yeah. You took the reins and I'm thankful for it. Let's be honest. I had to step away for a week Yeah, and I needed to work on myself. Yes. And so this was a healthy practice for me and you stepped in and and courageously led us forward. So I want to say thank you. You did an amazing job. I learned so much. It just makes me think, man, maybe maybe I don't have to do all the interviews. No, so you can be no, <laughs> no. You, uh, there was many moments that I was like, ooh, I need Jeff. I so this wasn't, Jeff. it wasn't the typical banter between you and I, but we are bantering now and we're going to banter at the end. Oh yes. We got lots of learnings mm-hmm. to discuss. I made him listen to them all and go through it. So we will discuss on our breakdown. So who are we listen and learning from today? Yep. So today is Chris and Emily Norton. Um, they are the authors of the book, The Seven Longest Yards, which is also a kind of viral video that mm. was uh, released. Uh, People Magazine, all these places kind of showed it. Um, so we will Very link, inspiring. We will link to that video. Um, also, they have a film coming out coming soon, probably spring 2020, called Seven Yards. And yeah, they have a crazy story. Hmm. We wanted to hear about this crazy story. Yeah, so listen for three things. Seven Yards... Seven kids. And I think this intro is about seven minutes. No, that's not the third thing to listen for. But I'm just saying it was about close to... And the third thing is we're going to talk about depression. Yes. And how it has impacted so many of us. Depression, anxiety. This is part of the reason why I had to step away. Mm -hmm. And I was experiencing a lot of anxiety the last few months. And um, so I, as I was listening to it, it was funny. Like I was like, man... I. Sometimes you need to hear something to affirm taking moments away and working on yourself. And um, so it's special for me. Oh, good. Well, we hope you like this interview as much as we did. I was uh, about three years into college and uh, was hoping for to meet someone, the one. And I was pretty worried about it because I navigate life in a wheelchair. I'm um, a quadriplegic. And so I was like, man, I'm at the, I, want, I need to find a special girl without, you know, lowering uh, the bar and the standards I have for someone with high morals and values. And uh, came across Emily online and just reached out to her casually and just a casual conversation. But it quickly went deep because Emily's a very deep person and just like likes to, to ask the tough questions and she wanted to know all about my spinal cord injury, which I suffered playing college football. 
And uh, she asked a lot of stuff that people are uncomfortable asking, but it made me really connected with her and uh, vulnerable. So uh, really fell for her right away. She was beautiful. And then uh, we met in person and I remember her across from the street to the public area that we were meeting at and my jaw, I'm pretty sure it dropped. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. Like, you know, she's, she's beautiful, more beautiful than I even imagine um, <laughs> from her pictures. And then she approached me and just, you know, looked me in the eyes and had a, a great conversation, friendly. Uh, she wasn't staring at my hands or my legs or my chair, just looking at me for who mm. I was and, um, and then just getting to know who she is as a person. Um, just, it was over right there for me. <laughs> yeah. Was it that fast for you, Emily? I mean, I had this instant connection with him, something that I really hadn't felt like it felt like I had known him for so long. Um, so it felt different than other times when you meet somebody. Um, it, it just felt like extra special. Like there's something that it was going to be something more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't as quick to be like, all right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, he's the one like right away. It was definitely a few months in where I just knew that he was the one and yeah. I, I felt this sense of peace that I had never felt and just like knew if he was my partner and mine forever that we'd get through anything that life threw at us um, as long as we had each other and we had God. So there was like this peace that I felt. Yeah. And I, I'm 100% sure like God gave it to me and I just knew that, um, yeah, that we were supposed to spend our life together. Yeah. Now, were you long distance then? I mean, you said you met online and... Yeah, in college, yes. But not so the same college. Nope. Different colleges, three hours apart. So that was hard. Chris was not driving. He actually just got his license yesterday. Yes. <laughs> wow. So I think I did see that video. That's like a yeah. freedom yeah. right there. Right. It was I a big know. thing. So he was not driving at all then. So I would have to make the three hours, three hours. And I tried to do it like almost every weekend. Oh, wow. Um, and then eventually I actually transferred to a school that was only like an hour and a half away. Um, it worked out. They had a major there that I was really interested in. And also it was nice to not have to make that drive every weekend. Yeah. Very cool. And then you got married right out of college, right out of school? We didn't. So it was a few years later. Um, yeah. So we, I mean, we went through some difficult times with uh, some mental health issues that I had. So I struggled after college. Um, we moved to Michigan. Uh, Chris had a goal. He wanted to walk across the stage at his college graduation. And he was determined like from the moment he was injured, like he's going to do this since it happened in college as a freshman. Um, so we actually moved to Michigan after I was done with college. He was doing an online class and was going to be graduating the next semester. And he had this goal that he was going to do it. He was going to walk across the stage. So we moved there and um, everything was going really well. Uh, it was definitely a big transition and a big change. I was his full-time caregiver as well. So, I mean, that definitely put some different strains on the relationship, um, oh, yeah. just different things to navigate and figure out. But for me, I ended up not anything with the caregiving stuff, but just for me personally, I ended up going through depression where I just fell into this deep depression. Um, and so that really prolonged the wedding date okay. because our relationship was in trouble at that point because yeah. neither of us had ever experienced that. We had no idea how to navigate it. I'm extremely stubborn and I like doing things myself, very independent. So I did not want to get help. Like I thought that made it seem like 
I was never going to be okay in life if I had to get help for this. And I, and it would just prove that I was weak and I couldn't do it on my own. So I was super stubborn and suffered for way too long um, because of how stubborn I was and not getting help. Okay. Well, we, we're going to definitely dive into that some more <laughs> for sure. Um, well, let's backtrack a little bit. Chris, tell us about your injury. Tell us about how that happened and how old you were kind of leading up to before you all met. Yeah. So I was a, an 18 year old college freshman at Luther college. Uh, I went there to obviously get a degree, but I also play football. I love football. I love competition. You know, at the time being an athlete was my identity. And so I worked my way up to the different starting ranks for the team. I was on the special teams in the sixth game of the season. Um, during the third quarter, I'm running full speed down the sideline and I see the opening where I know the, the ball carrier, he's going to run through that hole. He's trying to score a touchdown. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to drive my shoulder you know, through his legs, uh, a routine tackle that I've made, you know, thousands of times. Right. And I, I run in and I, I make a diving play. I, I kind of lose sight of him, but I kind of anticipate where he's going to be coming. And so I miss time my jump though. Hmm. So instead of colliding in with my, my shoulder, making most of the contact, I hit him with my head hmm. and instantly I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. Hmm. And I re- was completely conscious. It felt, it felt like a normal play. But when the pile cleared and the whistle blow and everyone's going to the sidelines, I just couldn't get up. I was trying to push off the ground. Nothing was working. And I thought, well, this is odd. I don't know why I, nothing's moving. I can't feel anything. I instantly think it's maybe like a bad stinger, which uh, can happen in football where you kind of pinch a nerve right. and your body kind of goes numb. It's like mm-hmm. your whole body's like a Novocaine shot. And uh, so I'm just waiting. I'm waiting and then, you know, nothing was coming back and athletic trainers get involved. The paramedics get involved. They called for a helicopter. And that's like the moment when I know like, Holy cow, this is serious. And up to this point, nothing bad has ever happened to me. So I'm thinking it's all going to work out. It's going to be fine. Cause everything's always worked out for me. Yeah. And this is the time that I, it wasn't like something bad is happening. And, I closed my eyes and just began to pray, just hoping for the best and uh, hoping that I'll be able to walk again. And um, later found out I had a spinal cord injury and it gave me a 3% chance to ever regain any feeling or movement back below my neck. Hmm. I mean, that's a big stat to like give you right off the bat there. I mean, yeah, what no, did that is. say to you? I mean, like, somebody, I know, yeah. like somebody tells me 3%, I think I'd be like, and yeah, I'm done. This is not fun. Yeah. Thankfully, I was really stubborn and uh, just just had this belief that, you know what, I don't care what you tell me. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can each and every day to, to beat this. Uh, I'm going to outwork whatever you have to do to, to be successful and to be part of that 3%. So I just had this belief that I'm just that I had to also it was like a sense of urgency and desperation that I just couldn't accept this new life and that I was going to do everything I could to get back to my old life like I loved the life I was living like I yeah. um, was so thankful for it and so I just like I had to get back to that place that I was at and so I had to do the work now um but yeah so I I just had this belief and this confidence but obviously though um there's so many moments where I question everything and like, what is all the time and effort I'm putting into this recovery? 
even going to pay off? Like, was yeah. it worth it? And I had a lot of, you know, moments where, you know, I cried myself to sleep and, and going to bed was the worst because it made me think about everything in my mm. future. Yeah. Uh, I just had to uh, wait until the sun came up and then get back to work, keep pushing forward. So you, do you feel that you ever fell into that kind of depression that Emily was kind of talking about that she experienced? Did you ever experience that or not really? I didn't. Um, I am very fortunate that I didn't. Hmm. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know why, why I didn't, but yeah. thankfully I was able to, to not fall into that. Hmm. Um, so I was able to kind of keep my, my mind was able to, to stay healthy um, as I tried to recover, you know, the physical parts yeah. of my body. Wow. And so this injury happened how many years prior to you two meeting? Uh, about three and a half years. Three and a half years of navigating life in this new body, in this new yep. space, in this new way. Did you feel like you were completely at home with your new normal? Um or did you still feel like you were, you know, trying to figure things out and not sure? Yeah, I mean, I was it's a little bit of both where I got to the point where I was confident with, like, who I am and, like, the, the, the person I am. Uh, I, I realized that identity is not about, like, what you do. It's not about, like, for me, it wasn't about being an athlete or the things that you, you did, but really like the type of person you are and like mm-hmm. the type of love and the joy that you bring to others. And I began to see that the people, people cared about who I was as a person. I didn't care about how fast I ran or how strong I was or how successful I was on uh, a sporting field. Right. And I just care about who I am as a person. I began to see that. And so that really kind of sort of build some confidence in confidence in me from a chair. Um, mm-hmm. And knowing that, you know, my value doesn't have to come from, uh, what I can do physically. Um, so that, that was really a big thing for me. I also started to, um, give back to others, which really helped uh, kind of build my, my, uh, confidence. I started a foundation, the Chris Norton foundation while I was in college. And so I was uh, running that fundraising for it to help other people with spinal cord injuries and neuromuscular disorders. Hmm. So Emily, I am just still sitting here thinking about imagining this decision because it's not just a partnership like a normal partnership. It's Mm -hmm. all of a sudden knowing that you're going into this relationship also as a caregiver, right? Right. And like knowing that that was going to be part of this. So what what was your thought process? What were you thinking in trying to figure this out? I mean, honestly, the first few months I was... uh I mean, just in general, I was extremely naive to like what that would entail of somebody in a wheelchair and somebody being a quadriplegic. I never knew anybody who had a spinal cord injury or had that limited function of um, their physical movements. I just didn't know anybody like that. And I had never experienced it. So I was very, very naive. And naturally I just like go to who people are. Um, that's just easy for me and something naturally that I do versus like what they do or um, what you see. And so naturally I just went to who he was and he had 
all of the qualities that I wanted and Mm -hmm. and a man, like everything he had with the foundation that he had already started. He was doing what he could to help others. And he had gone through something so life-changing that he could have become selfish and only thought about himself, but he didn't. Instead, he's like, hey, this happened. I'm going to do something about it to make other people's lives better. And I'm going to help other people. So that was, I was very, very drawn to all of those qualities. And, but I would say though, definitely months into the relationship is when, I started having some fears and um, I started comparing like our relationship to other relationships, hmm. which then, just, <laughs> you know, sucked away what we had. Yeah. Takes and, that joy um, right away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it definitely, I went into that a little bit, like more into the relationship. Like, how is this going to work? How are we going to be able to have a family someday? There's going to be so much on my shoulders. Um, just, I just, I didn't know how we would make it work. But I mean, I just kept going back to like this internal peace that I had. And I was very in tune to that and felt this peace like we were meant to be together. And mm-hmm. God had brought us together for a reason. Um, so I, I kept just coming back like, you know, like this just feels right. So tried pushing away the different fears and just instead having the attitude of we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And focusing on the times that we did make it work. And we mm-hmm. were able to travel. We were able to do things that I didn't know if we could do. Yeah. And Um, so uh, focusing on that helps me to like realize, you know, whatever comes our way, like we'll figure it out, we'll do it. And now it's kind of silly thinking back to all of those fears I had, because I mean, we had seven kids at one point in our house and we made it work. Oh my Lord. (laughs) Um, and back then I was like, no way that would never work. So we're definitely going to go into all these kids. (laughs) You are adoptive and foster parents, right? Both adopted and foster. And, um, I think you had kids that you were fostering prior to marriage. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So tell me about this decision and what in the world you were thinking. Um, okay. So I mean, I'll back up because it all started when I was in high school, I started mentoring and I met a girl named Whitley and Whitley was in elementary school at the time. And I was mentoring her, helping her, but she was just a little bit different. Um, I could tell that there were some things going on that I just didn't know about. And a few years later, we stayed in touch. A few years later, she ended up being taken away from her mom and placed into foster care. And that's when I just like, my eyes were completely opened. Hmm. I had no idea that there were kids that I knew kids in my community that didn't have a family that was loving and supporting them like they should be. And um, just going through things that no child should go through. So I was hooked. I come from a family that my parents were always there. They supported us, loved us. I never questioned if I was loved. And so just seeing the complete difference of what Whitley had versus me, um, I just knew like, this is why God put me here on this earth is to help kids in these situations to have to get what I had and the love that I had for my parents. Um, so fast forward a while, me and Whitley stayed in touch. She had been in foster care since she was 11, um, in and out of placements. We would be, well, she called us 17 years old and said, I have nowhere else to go. They were talking about putting me in juvie or um, a treatment center until I turn 18. There's no families that will take me. Um, I mean, she was just, just in with the wrong crowd, not making good choices, struggling a lot. And so she said, will you and Chris take me in and become my foster parents? Um, and we would be her 19th placement. So she had wow. been placed from one place to the next through those from 11 to 17, through those six years. And um, I mean, it was a, 
difficult situation. We never expected to parent a kid before we were married, um, but it was. So how old are you at this point? 23 and 24, right? You're 24, I was 23. Yeah, but we definitely talked about all the challenges. Were you living together too at this time? We were. So I was his full-time caregiver. So So you're in the same place. You're living together. You're not married, but Whitley calls. Got it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, so Emma was helping me out. And then we talked about all the challenges that would come with, you know, saying yes to a 17-year-old. We also talked about, you know, what could happen if we said no. Right. And, uh, we just felt, although we, she was, we were only six and seven years older than her and all the struggles that she's been through, but we just felt called to, like, give this, give Whitley a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, give her, like, a, we know we could give her a better home than what she's dealing with and a place that she could feel safe. Loved. And we knew no one else was stepping up. So it was like, we were in a situation. Yeah, it was our choice, but then also like we were scared of what would happen if we didn't. And, um, if she ended up taking her life or anything like that. So we knew we had to try, we knew we had to um, do what we could to just to show her she's loved and she's special. And we knew it wasn't going to be easy either. Yeah. Um, well, you also had yeah. built that relationship too. Yeah. So there, you know, it wasn't this blind right. foster situation. Yeah. That helped a lot. Right. That was definitely a big thing that helped. Um, but it's still though, I mean, just the, the trust issues from right. being through everything she's gone through. Yeah. Um, it, it's, even though I did know her for so long, even to this day, I mean, it's been many years and um, she still struggles with that because right. it's just so deep of in her brain of what's happened. And yeah. um, so that's still a battle of like, hey, we really genuinely love you and want what's best for you and still trying to prove her that. Um, So it's definitely a battle, that whole thing. But it did make it easier, that's for sure. Just knowing her and her knowing that we did, um, you know, we were were stepping up because we loved her. And uh, so that definitely helped. And then, so after Whitley, Whitley left after about a year, she graduated from high school and um, we decided that we had a place. We ended up moving into a house. We're like, Hey, we've got the time we've got the space, the love. And we decided to open our home to other kids in the area um, that are in foster care. How many did you have at one point? Like, so, I mean, so recently, um, (laughs) well, like months ago we had seven. Okay. (laughs) So we had, um, for a while, most of the time we had five actually. So we ended up taking in a sibling group of four girls and oh, those wow. are our daughters now. Okay. So um, those so are adopted. Yeah. Okay. And then we also adopted Whitley as well. When Whitley was 19, we adopted her. So okay. December and February of this past year is when we adopted five girls. <laughs> oh my gosh. Your life <laughs> is, Chris, I don't know what you're going to do about that. I know. You are like just surrounded by estrogen. Yeah. Our dogs are female too. (laughs) Pushes it over the edge. (laughs) So what are the ages of these, uh, of all the girls? Yeah. So we have a three-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, and then 20. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Y'all, you did things like a little bit backwards here. Oh, very much so. Okay. So tell me about that because I don't know a lot of people that we have interviewed yet that have really kind of done it kind of how you have done it, where right. you're like actually doing all the things, your house, your kids. I mean, yeah. you're navigating all these things and you're not even, you're not married yet. And you're not, I mean, you have had really not a lot of time, just you two. I mean, before this, right. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, we had like, uh, I don't know, we had a couple, we had like five years. How many years? Three yeah, years of just, just us two. Okay, three know. years after college. I, mean, I feel like on it, yeah. Okay. Well, during college too. Oh, so, you're counting yeah. college. <laughs> Baby, how long after college? Man, I'm so bad with timing. I don't know. You I guys are counting college. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we kind of like, it's kind of funny how it all kind of fell together. It definitely wasn't part, part of the No, plan. it's like, not part of the plan, plan, right? Yeah, no, we just was definitely not part of the plan. Uh, and it just, but like how things just kept happening. We just kept following what we felt was our hearts were, were pulling us towards. And we just kept stepping through that. And it just kind of led to this crazy I don't know where we're at now. Yeah. It's really funny how it all comes together. But uh, and I mean, you just think about it, though. If it didn't happen the way it did, then we wouldn't have the girls we have who are our daughters and like who 100% were meant to be ours. Yeah. Um, like without a doubt. So that's, I mean, thing, the thing, too, is like if we didn't really try to follow what we felt God was calling us to do. Um, but more just like what the society views and um, our plans, right. like we would have missed out on so much. Right. Um, yeah. So much. Hmm. Brave souls, you guys are. You know, we're adoptive parents as well. Um, and I think adoption and fostering just teaches you so, so oh, yeah. much. <laughs> so, I mean, I could like list probably 20 things right now, but I'd love to hear from you guys. What is been one of the biggest kind of learning things or something that you have real what it's really taught you um just the adoption fostering journey that you've been on yeah i mean for me i would say the biggest thing i've learned is to surrender um surrender what's out of your control and because there's so much when you're fostering and adopting there's so much out of your control uh, with fostering you have no idea how long these kids are going to be here you don't know where they're going to go I mean you their behaviors you can't control and so there's so many things there's their fears there's so much that's a lot really out of your control and that's been my biggest thing that helps continue to um, make me to be able to keep going and to give the kids everything I have is focusing on what I can control and letting go of what I can because because I, I realized like there's so many times where you get so overwhelmed with there's all of this going on, the fears of the future. I mean, the fears of are these kids going to be able to get better from these behaviors, these fears, these struggles that they're having. And as like a mom and just as me, like I want to fix that. I want to take it all right. away right yeah. now. And I hate knowing that sometimes it just takes time, a mm -hmm. lot of time and a lot of just patience in that waiting period. And so for me, I think that's been the biggest thing is just understanding, um, what I can and can't control. And then just waking up every morning, ready to go on what I can do mm -hmm. and just showing these kids they're loved and they're special. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I would say, you know, I would echo that. But then also something that's really helped me and taught me is to not take things at like face value or surface level and just know that like, you know, hurting people hurt people and that, you know, there's, there's scars and there's things that these kids um, have gone through that you can't see, right. but it affect their, their behaviors and their trust and mm -hmm. it affects a lot of different elements. So for me to just, always being able to kind of like look past uh, behavior, understand kind of in the source and yeah. uh, to be very patient and loving and there for them, even uh, when they are struggling. And then that's carried over to even how I handle like adults. If, you know, someone 
you know, yeah. ask, you know, um, <laughs> somebody is struggling with some yeah, struggling. of their own yeah. thing that we don't right. understand or know. And, right. Exactly. Yeah. And just understanding that people are struggling with things that you can't see. And a thing that I've learned with my spinal cord injury and being in wheelchairs, uh, you know, I have the privilege like to bring out the best in people because people like see me in a very vulnerable state. They see all the physical challenges I deal with and they're really kind and uh, appreciative and like just encouraging to me. Uh, which I appreciate, but then I uh, know that there, there's so many people that challenges that you can't see. Like no one saw Emily's depression and anxiety. And there's yeah. so many people who struggle with that. There's mm-hmm. people who are going through divorce, struggling to pay bills. And uh, there could be a trauma abuse from past. You just don't know. And mm-hmm. just to make sure like you're always treating everyone uh, with kindness and encouragement. And mm-hmm. yeah, again, hurting people hurt. So uh, others, so just always kind of, be loving and, and patient and not, you know, getting worked up about, you know, the surface level stuff. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so let's let's go kind of back to Emily a little bit when you were kind of talking about your this yeah. low time for you and your um, struggle with depression. Like, w- what do you think kind of brought this on? I mean, even just mm-hmm. talking to you, I'm like, you are the most joy-filled person I know. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine this being you. So right. what... Yeah, was there some trigger, something that brought this on? What or you know, and and then yeah. also how how did you kind of get out of that space? Yeah, so I mean, at the time, I had no idea what was happening. I had no idea why I was feeling that way. Um, I really was at this just super super dark place where I didn't have hope at all. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like Emily, the person who loves and cares about other people and enjoys life, like she's gone. Like I just felt like she was gone. Mm. Um, and I wasn't coming back. That's how, at that time, how I was feeling. And, um, so, I mean, but looking back on it, I've definitely kind of seen some signs and seen some things I was doing that was so bad for my mental health. And that was putting things on my shoulders. So like, again, like in high school, I did, I mentored Whitley and other kids in these situations who had been abused and neglected. And there was so much of it that I was taking on my shoulders. And I was, I was thinking like, their happiness, their, um, if they're hurting themselves or, um, trying to commit suicide, like I'm not doing enough. Like I felt this responsibility for them, um, and their, and their choices and their happiness, which was completely out of my control and I could only do my part. So it definitely started just wearing me down Hmm. and, um, I, I was able to handle it for a long time. And then it just got to a point where it's like, is this even worth it? Um, Few diff- I was in a group home working with teenagers, and that's when I really was starting to like kind of lose a little bit of hope of like what can I actually do. Hmm. Um, but I was I was trying to do it in the wrong ways, and I was um, taking that responsibility and that weight on my shoulders. And there's only so much a person can take when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And so it got to a point where it was just too much. So I just started shutting down my feelings and my emotions and um, closing them off. I was pushing them under the rug, not talking about it, not letting anybody try to help me with it, um, not processing it, but just like, I didn't want to deal with those feelings. I didn't want to deal with it. So I shoved it down and buried it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I'm, I'm sure that that is what then by me numbing my feelings and all of that, just, it, it just, sent me into a deep depression, Hmm. um, where I wasn't feeling much of anything except for anger because Hmm. anger was so much easier to feel Hmm. than anything else. So I just felt angry instead of anything else. Um, and yeah, I stayed there for way too long and, um, I was very, very against trying to get help from anybody or just what was happening. Why? So did you, 
I mean, we talk about the stigma or whatever of, mm-hmm. you know, even counseling and therapy. Is that something that you felt? Like you felt like yeah. if you said you need to go to therapy or something like that, that you were crazy or that you were yes. this? Like, is that like, was that what oh, was yeah. running through your head? Yep, it was. Like if I go to get therapy, if I go tell somebody what's going on, then that's just admitting like, I can't do this myself. I'm weak. I'm crazy. It's admitting all these things I already think. Um, and then it's also, I was like, I, I didn't even go through anything difficult. Cause at the time, again, like I had no idea what was happening or why right. I was feeling this way. So I was like, there's nothing bad that's happened to me. And it makes a lot of sense for like these kids who, um, have been abused and neglected to be struggling with depression right. and yeah. anxiety. But for me, it made no sense. And I had no reasoning for it. So it, it almost made me like discount that it was even real or that I needed help for it. And then um, because I didn't go through anything difficult, I was like, how am I ever going to be okay in life if something bad actually happens? Mm. Like no matter what happens in the future, if I can't get through this, I'm never going to get through anything because nothing happened. Yeah. Um, so those were kind of like my, uh, my, my thoughts that were preventing me from actually getting help. Tell me what you would tell somebody who's listening today who feels that kind of that uh, that's what's kind of sticking to me that real reason mm-hmm. like we and I'm saying those with quotes like air quotes yeah. like a real reason to feel depressed or anxious or whatever it is what would you say to somebody who doesn't feel like they have a real reason but is feeling those feelings how yeah. how would you change that thought process No, I mean, honestly, I look back and like, I'm now I'm happier than I ever was. And I never thought I would be at that point. So back then, um, I would just, I would say to anybody that's struggling with that and doesn't have that reason, like, it's just like you're, if you break your arm, you go to the doctor, mental health is the same thing. It's chemical imbalances. And, um, there's sometimes that you're able to get through it yourself, but there's other times where something's so chemically imbalanced that you need some help, you need some medication or some therapy or whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you crazy. Um, it's a strength to get help. Mm. And going and getting help is a strength. And I mean, after I did it, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like I was building this up in my head. And obviously just mentally, the thoughts I was telling myself were so inaccurate um, that I just made myself believe like it was this terrible thing if I was going to go get help. And mm. after I went and I got put on medication, it's like, man, like, should have done this a year and a half ago, you know, like this would have saved me so many struggles, so many problems and issues. And I didn't feel weak. I didn't feel crazy. I just, I realized that there was, there was chemicals that were not right in my body and I needed a medication. Just like if you have strep throat, you have to get on an antibiotic. It's not going to just go away. So, um, that's where I was. And after the fact of how I realized it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the big tipping point was, I think going back to church and, Right. Oh yeah. So, I mean, that's what changed everything for me. Um, for so long, I went completely away from God. Um, and again, it was like me not wanting to face the feelings I was feeling. And when I would pray, um, I would cry and I would feel so terrible and feel, feel bad. And so I just stopped praying. Um, and just my relationship with God just was completely gone. Um, because I didn't want to be vulnerable and I didn't want to face what was going on. 
And um, eventually, though, we got to a point where um, we started going back to church. And um, a few weeks into church, there was a message that the pastor said that I felt like he was just talking straight to me about sometimes people who are really independent might go through something hard to realize you have to depend on God. Hmm. You don't have another choice. Like you have to. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't learn that lesson, um, I I know I wouldn't have been able to foster or adopt afterwards. Um, And so that was really like the tipping point of just realizing, you know what, it's okay to get help. It's okay. Like there's something going on. And I I was able to get the strength through God to make an appointment and go in and share with the therapist what was going on. Hmm. That's good. Is that something that you feel like you both have kind of been open about in terms of even just talking with your kids? And, you know, I know that that's a big struggle with so many who have been in the foster system and things. Is that something that you're pretty like, Hey, you know, mommy needs help and mommy has to take medicine too. And you know, that kind of thing. Or is that, I mean, is that something that's a dialogue or not? Um, I mean, our kids are pretty young. Um, but I mean, Whitley, we've talked to her about it and, um, I was actually able to get off my medication. Okay. So that was, it was more, I feel like a season. And once I realized the tools I needed to be able to take care of myself and, um, to not put that weight or control on my shoulders, I've been able to like be super happy and feel really good without that. So it was definitely like a season I, I would, I would not have gotten better if I didn't get put on that medication. I really don't think I would have. And also strengthen my relationship with God. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it with them and, um, definitely Whitley we have too and uh, they're we're open about it and I I know that's gonna be super helpful in the future yeah um, with different things they might struggle with and um, just being able to connect and relate with them helps me a lot and then it also helps me to just know like um, when they're pushing me away like I pushed Chris away during that time when the kids push me away um, that's like they're trying to protect themselves and it makes me push back harder and be like no way you are not gonna feel alone right now I am here so there's been different things that I've learned of how to kind of go and just help them where they're at and what they need because of what I went through. Yeah. And Chris, tell me about what it was like as a, you know, partner during that time and trying to, yeah, navigate that with somebody you love that's just struggling so hard. What would you say to people listening who are partners to somebody who is struggling with mental health issues? Yeah, I wish... um... I would have better understood it. Um, so for me, uh, like we talked about, like I went through this horrific accident, spinal cord injury, and I, I didn't uh, thankfully you know, get depression. So then it was like, okay, I didn't get depression off this crazy event. Like she can't be depressed. Like, again, like we kind of were, we're both on the same page of like, well, there has to be something really big to happen for you to go into depression. Like that's the only way. Right. But I mean, we were wrong in that belief. Um, but like we said, it was, it was a chemical imbalance. So at first I was kind of like, no, like it's a bad attitude. Like, come on. Like, so I just look at the, the bright side, the glass half full kind of thing, but it's not bad. And so I went about it on all the wrong. I'm ways. sure that do. felt real good. Yeah, that worked Mr. Really well. Positivity, it worked real well for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, yeah then you make it all worse too. I'm a, a motivational speaker. I'm a professional speaker that I travel and I, I share in stages about, changing your attitude and just uh, persevering. So I'm like, 
I got the answer. <laughs> I, I, I got some good stuff. Like, yeah, know, which I really didn't work because I hate being told what to do. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I can Especially see. during that time. I, I'm like, uh-uh, I'll do the opposite. I can <laughs> So you know what not to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wish, uh, yeah, I wish I would have uh, understood it better. And I, I tried, and then as time went on, it became more and more evident that this is well beyond a, a poor attitude. And then we also then, also, like, we went through this stages of thinking, okay, it can't be depression. It's probably from, maybe it's a brain tumor. Like, she's been getting headaches. She's really tired. <laughs> yeah. It's a brain tumor. Yeah. So, like, let's get her the brain checked out. Let's, maybe my thyroid's messed yeah. up. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah, then she got really anxious. And her oh, yeah. Was really high. So, oh, there's something wrong with her heart. Like, this is the end. So we were trying to, like, diagnose her. Um, and she was diagnosed I was uh, hoping that it was something physically yeah. wrong, which is oh, so yeah. sad because it was so much, like, I mean, everything that happened, it was so much easier than, like, having a brain tumor or anything like that. And so it's crazy that I was hoping for that, but that's the stigma and the views I had on mental health, which is so sad, in which I do. I think it really prevents people from being vulnerable and getting help Is the are those stigmas. And um, so, yeah, those were definitely the views of, like, I, I hope it's something going on with my heart <laughs> or my brain. It's, like, insane to say now. And I would never hope that, ever. But it just yeah. shows, like, the state I was in yeah. um, and what I was wishing for uh, at the time because of the stigmas and the views I had on it. Yeah. yeah. So I wish, yeah, I wish I'd been more patient, more listening. Uh, I wish I would have encouraged church as a, as an answer. I didn't know about, like, I was kind of looking for quick fixes and things. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know if church is a quick fix or something, but I was completely wrong with that too. Like that was, um, what changed everything. Changed everything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I kind of like limited God too of what he could do for, for Emily. Um, so mm-hmm. I wish I would have, that would have been in, in the cards of something like we have to do. Like we got to get back. We have to find a church because we were kind of and kept being in transitional stages of like moving, mm-hmm. relocating. So I wish we would just, you know, find a church sooner and, and been committed to it and find the right church that mm-hmm. spoke life into us. I think that would have also um, changed things as far as, you know, opening her eyes to maybe getting help um, and yeah, not take it, things personal that uh like this hurting people hurt others um understanding that Hmm. yeah all right so let's switch gears a little bit um you are both let's let's go through all the things you have five kids you also wrote a book you have a film coming out you emily have a husband with disability that you're a primary caregiver you Chris, have a work, speaking career, traveling, this and that. How are you doing it all? How is all of this, how do you do it all? I mean, kind of this whole point of this, you know, um, podcast is love or work because so many times it's hard to do it all. Mm -hmm. What is working? What is not, what has really not worked that you had to, you know, make adjustments and change? And how is this working out for y'all right now? I think it's working out great, but we have seasons though that aren't so great. But like, I think we just, uh, the more we kind of go through it all, we kind of learn what works, what doesn't work. So there's a lot of just trial and error uh, of just like how we can complement each other and help each other. Uh, it's understanding, you know, how Emily feels love and how I feel love and, and making sure that we're giving that to each other. 
Um, I think we're also, I feel like we're, we're like a team uh, and like everything that we do, um, it's just us together. Uh, thankfully, uh, we both work from home. Um, so we're together every single day. And, uh, you know, we have our, our, just our time at night too when everyone's in bed and quiet. Um, we have our time, but I don't know. I think we, we just try to be intentional about mm-hmm. understanding what the other person needs and then being really communicative if you're not getting what you need to. Instead of like letting it like fester, um, we try to um, be more communicative before like it boils up into a bigger deal. Because mm-hmm. um, small things can just, if you don't address them, can just lead to a bigger issue uh, and bigger problems. So we try to um, be quick to communicate like how we're feeling. Yeah. I mean, I would say too, like the, the biggest help for just being able to handle everything that's on our plate and not feel overwhelmed is definitely putting God first. And, um, some things I've been really learning and I've been learning how to put myself first sometimes, which is so not natural for me. Um, I don't know if you know about the Enneagrams, but I'm a hard Enneagram too. (laughs) So I'm the helper and that's been something I've been realizing and it's been so helpful. Um, in the morning, every morning I get up and I read the Bible and I journal a little bit, like write what I'm thankful for. Um, and that really puts me like in the right mindset of like what's important, what's not important. And um, again, like going back to the surrender um, that's been so important is not getting overwhelmed by everything that's out of my control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where then I'm able to focus on a relationship, focus on raising our kids and the book and trying to help others know like there's always hope and you can get through what you're going through with God. And so that was, those are, I think the biggest things are just um, taking care of myself puts me in a mood of ready to like do more for others and be the best mom, be the best wife possible. Um, going to the gym every once in a while, just getting out by myself. And those are all so unnatural and you have to be super intentional and just make it into a routine or else it will never happen. And, um, so those, that's been really helpful for us. And then definitely just getting to church every Sunday. And we have a church Christ fellowship that just absolutely speaks life into us and makes us better people and, um, helps keeps things in the, in the right priority in the right spot. Um, which is super helpful. And then just having that strong relationship with God where you can be your best version of yourself so that you can be that for your husband and for your kids and for others. as well. Hmm. Hmm. One of the things that you are very well known for is, which we haven't even talked about yet, which I probably should have led with, right? Is this seven longest yards. Everybody has been sitting through this whole podcast the whole time saying, well, what the hell does seven longest yards mean? Because we haven't talked about it. So here you, here you go, everybody. We are getting to it right now. <laughs> Tell us about that story. Tell us about what that means to you and your relationship together. Tell us, just give us the synopsis of that. Yeah. So the seven longest yards, it comes from this goal that Emily and I set that we're going to walk down the aisle together side by side, uh, seven yards. And it was seven years since my injury. And really the seven longest yards is more than just the walk down the aisle, but like everything that led up to that moment to get to that place, like all the hard work, the challenges, uh, all the things where we, we questioned everything, but we kept going anyways. Um, so it's, it encompasses like everything that we've been through since my spinal cord injury, uh, Emily's depression, the graduation walk, uh, fostering, everything that just 
have this beautiful moment side by side going down the aisle seven yards. So it, it tells our story in the, in the book, the seven longest yards, and it really shows like how life's lowest moments can be the source of our greatest gifts. Hmm. I like that phrase. I mean, I, I I read through it and I was reading that from your book, and it's so beautiful. Emily, can you like expound on that a little bit more about why you? Like how that came through for you so clearly about the lowest moments and your greatest gifts. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I really don't think that I would have we would have ever fostered or adopted if it wasn't for me going through the time with realizing I can't do it all and I can't put it all on my shoulders and I can't depend on myself. Um, it's okay to get help and um, you have to depend on God and I. So those, that was like absolutely the lowest moments of my life. And it turned into the greatest blessing because this is the reason I'm here. Like I haven't known this for so long. Like this is why I'm here on this earth is to help kids in these situations and to help them know their loves and help them move past where they are and help them find God more than anything. Because mm-hmm. he's the one that can change it all. I can't. Yeah. So d- those lowest moments are really, honestly, the reason I was able to find my purpose and be able to live it out yeah. um, and live out the reason that I believe God put me here on this earth. So yeah. that those moments, I never would have thought that they would have turned into something good and helped me to accomplish the um, calling that was on my life, but it did. Yeah. And Chris's injury led to help, helping so many millions of people know, like, there's always hope. No matter what you go through, mm-hmm. you can get through it. You got to keep pushing and keep fighting and face it head on. Um, and, and just with writing about the depression and anxiety, that was hard for me. Um, like, you know, again, like the vulnerability and yeah. that's hard. It's hard to do. Putting it out there for the whole world. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. So that was really hard at first was like, man, I'm going to put this out there and um, share like the most I've ever shared. Um, I'm just a pretty closed off person. So mm. that was difficult, but then it's so worth it because I know there's other people who are facing that and feeling that and don't understand it. And if I can help somebody get help a little bit sooner than I did, it was more than worth it mm. um, to put myself out there. And yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's really just the messages that we want to get across to people and yeah, help them beautiful. realize. You guys are so inspiring. All right, we're at our final question, which we ask every couple that we interview. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? And we want to hear from both of you because there are some couples that don't have the same answer. Yeah, I mean, I would say yes. I mean, we're not even two years into our marriage, but like, I mean, I don't see why not if we can continue uh, what we're doing. But I know it's not coming to come easy. It's going to take sacrifices. It's going to mm-hmm. take um, figuring things out with different seasons of life. That every season of life, you know, brings about different challenges that you have to work through. But I think if uh, we can keep God at the center and we just be really communicative and, and open and just try to put each other first, and uh, while also taking care of ourselves, I think we, we can do it. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what I would say too. Oh, you're in agreement. Look at you too. And just like to really echo that, I truly believe though, in order to do it, that you do have to take care of yourself and you have to put God first. And now it's time for the breakdown. Yeah. So what did you think? You said it was really impacting you right now. Wow. You did a great job. (laughs) I was stressing, but... The funny thing is, I watched the whole video, 
And I could see you like having moments where like normally you and I, like jump I in. jump in and then you're like, so, okay. Like there's these moments where it was we kind of great dramatic pause who edited it all out <laughs> for you. I was like, literally at one moment I was like, uh, stop. <laughs> I need to think of a question. It was, kind of, was it a little awkward doing it by yourself? Oh yeah, for oh. sure. Well, I need meant, you. We're on the same we're team. We're in to this be together. Doing this together. Was that a good reminder for you? <laughs> oh my gosh. What? I'm serious. No, it, yes, listen, it was. That's not rooted out of selfish. Actually, tell me how, <laughs> how, how, how Okay, so let's talk about the interview and not about us, right? Well, now. no, hang on. One more thought on that. I think it's really healthy for us to separate at times to remember how much we appreciate one another. That's true. You've and been I was gone for, for six, a whole week. Yeah, seven days. And it really reminded me how important life is with you. Yeah. And we all need that. At and times. these interviews reminded me of the same. And I literally watched how important it is <laughs> that I'm with you. <laughs> oh God. Okay. The breakdown. Hit Thank it. God. Everybody else doesn't have to see that. Uh, First of all, um, with the mental health issues and things like that, um, the whole part where she talked about that she felt like she didn't have a real reason Mm. for her depression and things, especially with working with so many people and kids with trauma, you know, she's seeing that as a reason and not feeling like she has a real one. And I just... I mean, I, if I cannot stress this message enough, I don't think there is ever like a real reason that has to be there. It can be anything. It can be past. It can be family of origin. It can be, you know, so many other things that trigger this. Well, one thing I am learning is that we all have an amazing ability to look at other people's lives as worse than our own. Yes. And to never deal with our own issues, right? Right. And yet yeah. we all carry so much. Yeah. And um, so I could really relate with what she was saying. Like, mm-hmm. well, my my scenario is not as bad as right. Sheila's scenario or whatever. Yeah. You know, like... You, and hers, you, it was Whitley. It her. was Whitley, yeah. And um, it's so easy for us to compare our stories to others. Yeah without giving ourselves the healing that we need. And the grace to move Mm. through that however we need to move through that. Yeah. I also want to stress in this is just, um, I don't know how to say this, but just the idea that there doesn't have to be this perfect outcome or healing or miracle or whatever you want to say for it to be meaningful Hmm. and for the experience to be valuable and learning. Um, I read this kind of half quote from Sarah Bessie that we are beginning, that it's like valuing the victory and not the struggle. And I just think it's so important about that even in the struggle through this and even in the working through this, that there's extreme value to that. That's so interesting. Uh, when I was saying the word healing earlier, I was actually in my mind, I was thinking about this continuous healing, not a 
a fix it healing. Yes. Which is interesting. That's exactly what I'm talking about is so many people listening are still in it. I mean, we're all still in it in some sense. It'll never go away. And it's going to reappear in a different form and you might feel like you get a handle on it a little bit and then all of a sudden something else comes up. And so I just, I don't want us to be looking for this outcome and that being what we put all our hope and value in. Yeah. Because the struggle and the working through it and the in-between is the part that really matters. Yeah, I um, I mean, we could talk a lot about the details of what they, what they shared about, but what really stuck with me is this tension point that so many people listening right now are hurting. And I don't know what the cause of that is. I don't know what, you know, who knows what the story is behind that. But it's okay to care for yourself. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, let me just pause right there. What's interesting in that with these two is that, you know, Chris has this very outward, physical, physical, like you look and you're like, yes, I can see the hurting, right? He can't move in these certain ways. He can't function in these certain ways. And we would want him to get any help he needs, right? We would want all the therapy, all the this, all of that for him because we see it and we want him to yeah, be we walking. Would, we would fundraise on behalf of it. Oh, hell yes. We so, would, yeah, we would contribute. Right. But we then would encourage you've got it. his wife that is having all this inward struggle, all this inward hurt and things. And we just feel like you should move on and keep doing your job. And you know what I mean? And we don't, we don't stress that importance on that hurt, like, deeper wounds, inward healing that needs to happen. Wow. I'm just going to break it down right now for you people. I'm feeling very passionate today about this. So, Andre. (laughs) Andre Schoenberger. If there's a person listening right now that has those internal debates about themselves on, you know, what we're exactly talking about. It could be a depression, anxiety, um, struggle, whatever that looks like for them. What, what would you recommend they do? Well, first of all, acceptance that this is a part of you and this is okay. And there are literally millions of people in the world that feel the same way. Maybe most people. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is probably, you know, I'm in medicine and we talk about a lot of physical stuff Um, and healing and things like, you know, medicine, this, that, symptoms. I would say my majority of time I'm talking about other issues. I'm talking about anxiety and depression more in my day than I'm talking about diabetes and hypertension. So I just think that this is so common and you're not alone. And talk to somebody and know that this is a part of you and it's okay. You are still a whole, beautiful, wonderful person with all of this included. 
I think that was beautiful. It was a great way to wrap up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people like the story, what, what, what should they do? So um, they have a book that is out already called The Seven Longest Yards. So definitely look that up and you can hear all about their story. Together, a film is coming out in spring called Seven Yards. And then Chris does a lot of motivational speaking and encouraging uh athletes, young people, organizations, corporations, you can look him up at chrisnorton.org. That's another episode of Love or Work. We can't wait to be with you next week. Goodbye. This episode was produced by DJ Obdiggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.